Before we get started, I wanted to thank Prevail Infoworks, the sponsor of today's podcast. Prevail Infoworks is the only global, full-service, tech-enabled CRO and e-clinical service provider harnessing historical and publication data alongside ongoing study data in real time. Get the most out of your study data and schedule a demonstration of this service for yourself at www.prevailinfoworks.com. And be sure to meet the Prevail team at the Outsourcing Clinical Trials East Coast Conference in May or at their offices in Philadelphia. Again, take a moment and explore their new look website at www.prevailinfoworks.com. Check them out. Leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards in stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. When the Bioinvestor Forum convenes in San Francisco October 17th and 18th, a key point of discussion will be the availability of funding for emerging life sciences companies. One of the panelists addressing that point this year will be Asesh Xavier, Vice President of Venture Investments for Johnson & Johnson Innovations Venture Arm, JJDC. We spoke to Xavier about JJDC's approach to investing as a strategic investor, the changing landscape for venture capital and how competitive the environment is for access to compelling technologies today. Asesh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Daniel, for inviting me to talk to you. We're going to talk about JJDC, the state of funding for emerging biotech companies, and how competitive the environment is today to get access to promising technology. Let's start with JJDC, though, which I believe was the first corporate venture firm focused on the healthcare sector. What's the role of JJDC within Johnson & Johnson, and how has its mission evolved over time? Yeah, that's a good place to start. So, uh, uh, Daniel, JGDC has been in existence since 1973, and in its 44 years or so, it has consistently invested in healthcare venture capital, and more recently in the last uh, five, six years has also done uh, a bit of growth equity investing. And the venture group within J&J has evolved, has the industry has evolved. So if you look at the early 1970s, most of the funds were small. Uh, Kleiner Perkins, for instance, started in 1972, and its first fund was an $8 million fund. So JJDC was doing small investments then, and then we have evolved with the industry, and now we, in on an annual basis, do 
a few hundred million dollars in new and follow on investments. And we are not structured as a fund, but we are a 100% owned subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson. What has been consistent over the last 44 years is uh, JJDC has been a strategic investor uh, with the focus on the long term to look at innovation, uh, which will meet unmet needs uh, in all the areas that J&J operates. So pharmaceuticals and biotechnology, medical devices and diagnostics, as well as consumer healthcare. Uh, there's a, a much broader innovation ecosystem that's grown up around JJDC. This includes the different elements now under the umbrella of J&J Innovation, which includes J-Labs and J-Links and the J&J Innovation Centers and, and Janssen Business Development. Where does the venture arm fit in here, and, and how does it interact with these different pieces? Yes. So what uh, was decided by Johnson & Johnson in, nine, uh, in 2012 was to create Johnson & Johnson Innovation as an uh, umbrella brand to house various uh, groups and entities within Johnson & Johnson which are involved in working both internally and externally in the broad innovation space. So over the last five-plus years, this has evolved into a number of entities you have mentioned. And let me try to sort of uh, structure them so it's easy for the um, listener to understand uh, how these different uh, uh, entities within Johnson & Johnson Innovation work. So what was initially done was create innovation centers, uh, four of them, one in California, one in Boston, one in London and one in Asia-Pacific. The one in Asia-Pacific is distributed with uh, offices in Shanghai, Tokyo, Singapore, and Sydney. Given the large uh, footprint the continent of Asia has, as well as uh, cultural and other differences in business practices. Now, the innovation centers uh, are the door through which the ecosystem. Uh, participants can interact with J&J, so it's far more seamless for the people in the ecosystem, and these are in the global hubs of innovation, California, uh, the East Coast, around New England, then London and continental Europe, and then uh, Shanghai, Asia-Pacific, to be able to find the right uh, champions within J&J for their various needs. Uh, so the innovation centers really do have a integrated team has core functions in searching, uh, scouting, and finding uh, deals, collaborations. There are transaction folks. There's legal support. There is dedicated finance, uh, finance resources and uh, other other things that makes it uh, able to function quasi independent of the mothership. Then uh, JLabs was created around the same time, 2010, 2011, and that was to have has an incubator with no strings attached to be able to uh, provide turnkey uh, services to entrepreneurs when they are in the early stages of starting a company. So over the five plus years, we have had now eight sites in the U.S. We started in San Diego, and we are having uh, a five-year anniversary there very soon. And then uh, we have two sites in the Bay Area, two sites in Boston, 
Uh, we are going to open one in New York City. We have one in Toronto and two sites in Houston. So six of these are focused on biotech or biofarm. And then uh, we also have a device-focused incubator in Houston, as well as one in Greater Boston. That is J-Labs. We have what is called J-Links, which is an incubator in our R&D uh, campus in Belgium, in Biersa, which is about a 30, 45-minute drive from Antwerp. And that has a different model where we uh, are not only incubating, but assisting these companies raise uh, funding, seed funding, given that the venture environment is very different in Flanders versus, say, Boston or the Bay Area. And then uh, JJDC is integral to this whole effort, and we are co-located uh, with the innovation centers. And we also have an additional site in Tel Aviv, uh, where we have been present since 2000, uh, principally focused on medical device investing. And JJDC then can work with these resources in the innovation centers to be able to do diligence and invest in, uh, in companies. And then uh, the other one I believe you mentioned is Janssen Business Development, which is our colleagues within the pharma sector who do uh, either collaborations, uh, BD deals, or uh, acquisitions post-proof of concept in humans. So the line which divides the innovation centers from the centralized BD and M&A is uh, roughly proof of concept in humans. As a strategic investor, how do you view your mandate and how might that differ from a, a conventional venture investor? What has been consistent is we are a strategic investor. So we are looking from the lens of how do we work with the J&J family of companies, both uh, companies which are business units with revenue as well as R&D groups uh, to uh, find uh, cutting-edge innovation, which are me meeting unmet needs for uh, the constituencies that J&J uh, is serving. So uh, I think a lot of our listeners will be familiar with Johnson & Johnson's Credo, which is the core document under which all the employees of J&J function in useful guidance. And that is a commitment to patients, uh, families, doctors, nurses, to uh, you know, in essence, solve their health-related uh, problems. So that's our primary focus. Uh, we also do have a secondary mandate, which is financially related. So we, like the Federal Reserve of the U.S., have a dual mandate. Strategic is a primary focus, but we do also have financial targets to meet. Well, what would constitute an investment for JJDC? What are the, the parameters you look for in an investment? So let me uh, break that up into the three areas that the JJDC investors operate in, which reflects the constitution of Johnson & Johnson. Uh, so Johnson & Johnson right now operates in the pharmaceutical, medical devices, and the consumer healthcare. And so the 12 investors with JJ, within JJDC uh, are focused in these areas. Then what we do is we have deep, uh, understanding of the areas that J&J would like to grow into are already doing R&D or have existing businesses. So that's our opportunity set. Uh, and then 
uh, either through our own networks or through the Johnson & Johnson Innovation uh, family uh, of folks. We source, uh, you know, anything from seed through up to clinical stage uh, startups uh, or even revenue stage companies in, in case of consumer healthcare, and then do what is typically uh, what a venture firm will do. We'll do diligence using our internal resources, invest, and once we invest, we behave very much like any venture investor. You know, we our fiduciary responsibility is to the companies we invest in. Is there a recent investment or two that you could point to that would illustrate the way you evaluate a potential investment? Yeah, so let me talk about uh, the one or two deals I have recently been involved with. So if you have, you know, follow-up questions, I can give you some color on it. So let me start with Protagonist Therapeutics, which uh, is now located in Newark, California. Uh, I and some of my colleagues were really interested in finding a peptide-focused uh, company and especially companies which could either do uh, oral peptides or get peptides ac across the blood-brain barrier or get some other cargo through a peptide across the blood-brain barrier. And after some amount of landscaping and, and you know, uh, looking around, we found Protagonist, which had started in uh, from the University of Queensland, and also had set up uh, some presence in the Bay Area. And then over uh, over a year of conversation with them, we convinced them that their technology is really uh, something they should try in the oral uh, space, uh, focus on IBD, and that we will lead a series B if they do that and sort of stop doing some of the things they were doing previously, which was sub-Q-peptides, uh, has a bio-better sort of strategy. They agreed to that. Uh, so JJDC led a Series B financing there, and then over, that was in summer of 2013, then worked with them over the years to have a Series C, which was led by Canaan, and then an IPO last year. So now they're a publicly listed company with a market cap of about $350 million. and when we found them, they, they really were struggling to raise money. And in addition, we built bridges for them with our... Um, immunology R&D group, where they got pro bono advice on, on discovery biology, all the way through how to structure some of their clinical thinking and trials. And that culminated in a BD deal in the IBD space, which was announced, I think, in May of this year, uh, which was uh, for their second program, IL-23R receptor. And that was a preclinical program where J&J uh, paid a meaningful amount of money up front. And the buyer dollars of that deal was close to a billion dollars. So, uh, as so that's a, one example. Uh, as a strategic investor, when you look at a company like that, how do you think about risk and return and, and exits? And is that different than you might as a, a traditional venture investor? I think there's two dimensions to it. One is as a strategic in, uh, investor in areas we are investing, we have deep knowledge internally. So we do bring a lot more to the table, a far more richer view of the world uh, that is evolving, both in terms of clinical trials, uh, preclinical models, regulatory, and commercial landscape. Uh, so that's very helpful both for us to find deals and for the companies long term who work with us. Uh, in terms of risk, that probably gives us 
the ability to do deals that may look much riskier to uh, financially oriented folks. In many cases, uh, therefore, when we lead transactions, we are able to bring along a lot of folks who implicitly, uh, given our long history in the space, are trusting our diligence. So we are able to do earlier deals. So we do a fair number of seed investments. But at the end of the day, we, we collaborate a lot with the venture firms and we practically have invested with almost every venture firm you know you could think of in uh, US and in continental Europe and in the last decade we have also started investing in Asia Pacific you'll be uh, participating on the closing panel at the upcoming bioinvestor forum in San Francisco that runs October 17th and 18th this will be a discussion on market outlooks and the the private funding climate there seems to be a lot of money out there today what's the environment right now for companies looking to raise money so I have been with JJDC for 13 years, and before that, I worked for three startups. So I have been in the space approximately 20 years since I left my postdoctoral fellowship at Hopkins in the fall of 2000, uh, actually 1998, so almost 20 years. And what I've noticed uh, more recently in the last decade is there were a lot more uh, healthcare and biotech-focused venture firms going into the financial crisis in 2008 than they are today. So while there's a lot more dollars, it's concentrated in far fewer funds. Uh, the other uh, thing is there's dollars coming into the market, especially on the West Coast from uh, Asia, principally China. So there's a lot more dollars and a lot fewer funds, and these funds still have the capacity to fund the same number of companies as a result of which there is a lot more dollars in fewer companies and the Series A's now typically are 50 plus million dollars. The last two deals I have been involved where I've taken both seats, Eastcape in South San Francisco had a $63 million Series A and Blackstone Therapeutics in, in the city in San Francisco had a $54 million Series A. So what has happened is a lot more dollars in, in fewer companies and in the seed to early stage, uh, pre-Series A, there's a large number of companies which still are uh, capital starved in one way or the other. It's interesting you say that. My sense is that even though there's been a narrowing of the traditional healthcare-focused venture capital firms, that there's been a broadening of who's willing to play in this space, whether it's strategic investors like JJGC or whether it's private equity firms that traditionally did public market deals, or even if it's venture philanthropy and patient-focused groups, are, are you seeing a broadening of companies that are out there willing to invest? Yes, there is a broadening of sources of capital versus 2008, uh, but the total number of players are probably the same because a large number of folks exited the space between 2010 and 2013. Uh, so I wouldn't say there is competition, and a lot of the new entrants uh, tend to play later. So they are still dependent on uh, maybe 20 to 30 venture firms in the U.S. creating the new companies and doing the Series A, and they are far more willing to come and do the Series Bs or be crossovers uh, potentially into an IPO. So as you look at the deals that have been done recently, do anything serve as a, a barometer for you to tell you where we're at in terms of 
of the market? Are there things such as valuations or deal volume that you read that would tell you something about the state of funding today? Yes. So I think, uh, you know, Daniel, you're right in saying that, you know, most of the VC firms, either new teams or the existing ones who are going to raise money have sort of reloaded. Uh, the peak of the biotech public markets uh, was about July 2015. They have come back a lot uh, recently, especially uh, after, you know, talks about drug pricing has sort of cooled off. However, I think uh, two things have happened. A lot of the companies which could go public have gone public. So the crop of IPOs is going to be more selective and the numbers have started decreasing. So, so the exits have, uh, the, the window is still open, but it's, it's maybe a little more selective than it was in 2014, 2015. And also the area where VCs are playing, people are betting in certain narrow spaces and and putting enough capital to build companies which could uh, sustain through a downturn. So it's not unusual to see half of a venture portfolio focused on oncology, uh, which you know may may be good or bad uh, depending on one's view. But that is uh, unusual if you look at portfolio theory, right? As an investor out there today, how good is the quality of opportunities you're seeing, and and how hard is it for you to compete for the deals you want? One of the trends we are seeing is uh, many of the well-known VC firms are not syndicating that much anymore. So everybody is looking to do their own seeds, build those companies up, and syndicate with, as you mentioned, some of the new entrants in the space rather than syndicate with each other. And therefore, JGDC has also followed the trend. We recently created two biotech companies, one of which uh, is Fusion Therapeutics, where we were the lead. Uh, investor as well as the founding investor. We also bought in assets. That's in Ontario, Hamilton, and Boston, Massachusetts, focused on oncology uh, with uh, radio therapeutics as a focus, Actinium-225 uh, linked to antibodies or other uh, targeting moieties. And then we also created another company called Prevention Bio in Lebanon, New Jersey, focused on interception of autoimmune disease. We did not do it with VCs. We uh, had JDRF ventures in there plus retail investors, and we bought in assets both from J&J as well as uh, a type 1 diabetes vaccine from Finland. So we are doing some of it, and we are also willing to play in the Series B. Again, if you look at Blackthorne and Escape Bio, which I mentioned, we were in the founding investor group, and these were companies which have spun out of scripts in case of Blackthorne and Gladstone Institute in case of uh, Eastgate. Assess Xavier, Vice President of Venture Investments for Johnson & Johnson Innovations, JJDC. Assess, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks a lot, Daniel. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, Subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.